Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. This is the second episode where I have one of our investment counselors on to talk about some common questions, concerns, fears that our clients have, and even not our clients, even people who are thinking about investing in turnkey real estate or just barking on their own journey to become a real estate investor with their own team in their own markets doing whatever they want. And we just want to share some common questions and fears and concerns that investors have, as well as questions around how to best work with us. What do you need to know? How much cash do I need? All kinds of stuff like that. So I actually recorded an episode before this one with one of our other investment counselors, and it was a great conversation. We went about 40 minutes or so, and I still was left with a bunch of questions that I wanted to bring up and discuss that never got answered because we were going long. So I'm going to maybe pick up from that last episode conversation on today's, as well as maybe ask some of the common questions that I've already asked in the previous episode, just to kind of flesh it out and get some other people's perspectives. So with me today is one of our investment counselors. It's Melissa. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marco. Excited to be here with you. Yes, it's great to have you on. It's been a long time since I actually did an episode with one of our team members, and now I'm planning to do at least three, if not more, one each with a different investment counselor of our six. And so today I want to maybe just start with you and ask you, you know, how would you describe your role as an investment counselor and your role with our investor clients here at Norada? Perfect. Thanks, Marco. I would say that my role is to, I have a system in place where I like to talk to my potential investor clients first about them and their goals. What are they looking to do? Maybe it's short term, maybe it's long term, maybe they want to invest for retirement, maybe they want to invest for, you know, their children's college costs or a number of things. So I like to start with that first because that's really going to help us know where to take direction and how to take direction. So my role is number 1 helping them think about their goals. And then number two is taking action. That's really how I view my biggest strengths. So how do they take action? Well, we do a lot of things here. Number one, we're going to counsel them on the strategies and the different markets. We're in a lot of different markets and it can get very confusing out there. You listen to a lot of people and people are listening to other podcasts and other forums or their friends. And they're saying, you should invest in this market because I am, or And then they'll hear somebody else saying, well, I'm going over here because so-and-so told me to go over here. And there's a lot of noise and a lot of confusion, especially for somebody new who is investing out of state in another market. And so really what I like to do is let's simplify it. Let's break it down, kind of cut out that noise. And let's talk about them and their strategy. What is it they're looking to do? What aligns with their goals? Let's talk about the markets individually and what those markets are doing. Then let's place the markets that align with that person directly. So I kind of like to work with them a little bit backwards. So we're doing a lot of strategy. Our systems are in place where we literally help them do it all from the basics, like I just said, strategy to the end closing. And so I kind of like to keep investors on that path. 
they're setting the goals for themselves. We're strategizing with them every step that they need from the lenders through actually identifying a property, how to read the performance, what the numbers mean. I'm here with them working on that. And then once they identify a property and they want to put it under contract, I'm still here with them. I'm holding their hand. We're ordering inspection reports. We're reviewing the inspection reports. You know, their lenders are in place getting the appraisals. And then finally, the end, when they're getting close to closing and they're getting ready to set up their accounts with their property manager, there's more questions there. So, you know, my philosophy is I'm here to help them succeed using not only my experience, but also everybody on our team's experience and knowledge. So I'm kind of more that let's keep you on that, that straight line and let's do it. Let's get you going. That was great, Melissa. That was an excellent overview. And I'm not even sure there's anything I can add to that. But the comment I think I want to make is that the takeaway of listening to everything you just said is that we are figuratively holding your hand through the whole process, and we're there as your primary point of contact. It's not that we, quote unquote, throw you over the fence and just hand you off to, let's say, a lender or one of our builders or one of our property providers or anyone else for that matter. Yes, we're going to introduce you to them. And yes, you're going to have conversations with some of these people because you're going to need to talk to, you know, your lender or or maybe you're talking to a couple of lenders. You're going to need to talk to the property manager at some point in time. You're going to need to have a conversation possibly with, you know, our team or boots on the ground, you know, that be it that builder or property provider. But never at any point are we essentially handing you off or relinquishing you to someone else. We are always going to be your primary point of contact. We're always going to be helping you go through this journey with each and every property that you're purchasing and adding to your portfolio. And we want to be in that position. We want to be that counselor, that guide, that unbiased advisor to help you essentially be successful with each and every transaction as you build your portfolio and work towards whatever your investment goals or your life goals are. So that's the way I look at it from a distance is that We're there to be that point of contact before, during, and importantly, after. Because I think sometimes we get asked the question, you're going to work with me in the beginning, and you know, after the transaction closes, are you still there? I mean, do I need to work with you anymore, or are you going to be there for me? And the answer to that is yes. Of course, we're going to still be here for you, because you're going to have questions after the fact. And last but not least, we don't expect you to invest in one property and go away. We expect investors to build their portfolio, be that five or 15 or 50 properties. Exactly. In fact, I say that to my clients sometimes is we are working together as a team. I kind of look at myself as their wingman and we have to communicate and the communication goes both ways. So I'm here as much as you need me or as as little as you need me. Sometimes we have a more experienced investor that doesn't need as much handholding and that's fine. And, And I let them know, hey, I'm here just, you know, anything you need, I'm here. You reach out to me throughout the closing or after. And we have some newer investors that want a little bit more handholding and a little bit more explaining. I just got an email this morning from an investor who um, has a property under contract right now. And just a simple, quick question. And it just worked out that it happened to be by email. But yeah, so I'm literally here. And like you said, sometimes I say, hey, I don't think I've ever heard an investor call me and say, Hey, Melissa, I'm only going to buy one property. That's it. I've never (laughs) heard that. Everybody has goals to buy multiple properties and build a portfolio. So I definitely like to be involved well after closing because 
I love hearing when someone says, Hey, you know, my property is doing really great. Let's talk next quarter for my next one. You know, even if somebody called me with a question like, Hey, you know, this happened. Do you think that's normal? Or, or do you think I should expect this? I love helping with that because that information is valuable for me when they do call me next quarter and say, all right, I'm ready for property number two. It's nice to have been able to communicate between that so that if we know we're going to re-strategize for the next one, or maybe we just want to stay in, and buy another one in that, exact, in that exact same strategy. So I love that open, continuous communication. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. So Melissa, I've decided to ask you some of the common questions that we get that I did not ask Oliver in my other recording, which is a similar episode to this, but I figured that if we can cover a set of questions with Oliver and a different set of questions with you, then there's little overlap and whoever's listening to this episode can go back and listen to the one with Oliver and whoever's listening to the one with Oliver can go and listen to this one and they'll have complimentary but different answers to some common questions. So the first question I'm going to throw out there that you can answer and we can both comment on is how long does the process take? I know that's a very, seems like a very generic or simple question, but I know people wonder about this. In fact, I was literally asked this question two days ago from an investor who's now becoming a client. They ask, well, how long does this take? Because some people just really don't know how long the process takes. So what would you tell them? I actually get this question a lot too, Marco. And well, there's two ways I can answer it. First of all, if I talk to somebody today and they say, all right, Melissa, my goal is to buy a property the end of this quarter. You know, maybe they want to take advantage of some of those tax benefits for this before, you know, 2020. So in that regard, if we put a property under contract today, the typical closing is about 40 days on average. If that property is completely done and it's finished and it's ready and we can, you know, get in there, your lender's going to order the appraisals, we can get inspections done, all that good stuff, about 40 days on average. Now, if we look at it a little bit different, if a new investor called me today and said, you know, hey, I'm just thinking about doing this, you know, maybe I'm not ready to buy until quarter one. So, you know, January, we're going to talk. Well, the first thing I do is I encourage them to start talking to lenders now, because even though they might not be ready to buy with their funds in hand in January, I think it's a great idea to start the process now to make sure that everything is going to be clear and okay with the lenders. So lenders can typically get an investor or a potential investor approved fairly quickly. I mean, in a week, if you're a little bit more complicated, and you've got to upload a lot more documents and you don't just have a straight W-2, they might need a little bit more time. But on average, I think if you have a simple W-2, under a week to get that pre-qualification. And so that's usually the first stage, making sure that your finances are in order, you're pre-approved, we're ready to go. So if we got a week on that timeline, then from there, we're going to start looking at properties and identifying properties. Depending on how quickly we find you the property that you want, that's the unknown. Literally, I could find somebody a property today. We have a great inventory. We've got inventory in a lot of different markets, a lot of different strategies, a lot of different price points. And I'm confident that the inventory we have is, is all good. So if somebody sent me a pre-qualification or pre-approval letter today, theoretically, we could find them a property tomorrow put it under contract tomorrow. And then we're looking at about on average a 40 day closing. So to paraphrase what you're saying, basically, if someone is coming to us and they're pre-approved, I mean, even if we've been talking to them for the last two months, at the point that they are pre-approved for financing, meaning that they're ready to pull the trigger on a contract, 
on a property that they have shortlisted and have identified as being the one, then it's essentially put it under contract. You've already got your financing approved. You're looking at 40 days or so plus or minus to go through the process of the appraisal, the inspection, the review, finish working with your lender, mortgage broker, and essentially go into a clear to close with the lender. So that way you sign your closing docs and you take title, right? Absolutely. And sometimes it's 30 days, but I like to, you know, let's go with 40. That's pretty average. Yeah. And for those listening, let me just say this. A lot of lenders and mortgage brokers are very optimistic when you talk to them. A lot of the guys we work with, guys and gals will tell you closer to 45 days, they're being realistic with you. But if you're talking to a lot of the banks and institutions and mortgage brokers out there, they're going to be aggressive in an effort to quote unquote buy your business. And they might tell you, yeah, we can do this in 30 days or less. That may be true, but always bank on it being closer to 40, 45 days. If it's less, fantastic. But if it takes longer, hey, expect that it does happen from time to time. But 30 days is really aggressive. And I'll even add a little bit more to that, Marco. Depending on your lender is really going to affect that timeline. So I'm assuming that this investor that has the pre-approval is working with one of our recommended lenders who we know we do loans with all the time and we know they can do them quickly and efficiently, 40 days with them. Now, if they brought on some unknown lender that we're not familiar with or it's a larger bank or something, it can be a lot longer. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So this is a very generic question and I think I got this from you and and that's just how specific or detailed should an investor be? Let me clarify that a little bit. I think what your intention was with this question is simply that some people are very analytical and they methodically comb through everything and it really just slows them down and slows the process down. But I also read this question as being something of you know, how involved and detailed should I be? How deep do I need to go in each phase or step of the process? But I'll throw it out to you as just a very open and generic question. Yeah, that's a good question. So we absolutely want our investors to be educated. We want you to, I mean, this podcast is a great place for education. There's a lot of places to learn about real estate investing. So we're here to help with that. With that being said, yes, I think analysis paralysis is kind of what we call it around here. And it's very easy to get stuck in that. But at the end of the day, there's a couple of variables in real estate that you can't control. The biggest one is the tenant. We know that you can do everything possible. You can find the perfect property, the perfect location. The numbers are perfect. The property manager is awesome and everything is so great. And then you get a tenant in and life happens. And you can't guarantee that you're not going to have a vacancy. We know that you will. We want you to be prepared for those. And that's why we recommend putting assumption money aside every month or you know, having a, an account to cover those things. And so with that being said is, is, yes, it's important to look at the data. And yes, it's important to know how to read the performa. But we have everything, every tool that you'll need. And I just ask my investors to ask me where they need help. Ask me where they're struggling it's not rocket science. The numbers are the numbers. You know, you can look at a performa and we can verify the rents in the area. There's a lot of great websites to verify rents. There's, you know, the property managers themselves verify rents. So you shouldn't really need to spend a lot of time on that. The taxes are the taxes. I mean, we can look at the counties and look at the rates that they are and, and verify the number. 
there's so many easy ways to just quickly look at a performa and you can verify the numbers. Other than that, you either like the numbers or you don't, you know, and it goes back to what are your goals? Let's find the property that aligns with your goals and then let's just do it. I will show you the properties. Here are the numbers. Let's do it. You know, there really isn't too much where you can, the need for you to just dive in too deep to analytics because you get stuck where you never take action and then you never do. And then you never grow that portfolio like you were going to. So yes, we do say, okay, you know, lean on us from our experience. And and we've been around these markets for a long time. I probably dream looking at inspection reports and pro formas because that's all I see all day long. And I love crunching the numbers too. I love a good spreadsheet. But at the end of the day, verify the information and then let's do it. Yeah, that's all good information. And I, I certainly agree with you. You made me think of two, three things. First, while we are recording this, we are in the process of migrating and launching a brand new website, which will replace our existing website that's been around for a good number of years. But the reason I bring that up is because although there is a lot of properties that are posted on the website, and that could literally be a hundred or more, the reality is, is that at any given time, we probably know of and have access to somewhere between 100 and 200 ready to go or almost ready to go turnkey rental properties across 20 or so markets in the US. And the point of me bringing that up is that a lot of the properties are just not on the website and will never see the light of day. They'll never make it to the website because when you're working with Melissa or or whoever your investment counselor is, if they already know what your investment criteria is and they can identify and pull out the property that meets that criteria, they'll present that to you and it may never actually hit the website. So it'll go under contract with you or someone else before it even goes onto the website. Now that doesn't mean that the properties on the website are not good quality properties or good investments. They are. It's just certain investors working with our counselors will have a specific request or specific criteria that when we know it's coming down the pipe, we can essentially let you know about it in advance. It may not be fully rent ready or renovated, meaning it's a turnkey rental yet because it's in the process of being renovated, but at least you'll know about it in advance and you could put it under contract if it's something that you know meets your criteria and you're good with it. So that was the first point. The second point is is that you were talking about the numbers, you know, in a pro forma or on a spreadsheet or in our case it's on the website. It's pretty easy to be accurate with expenses because you know you know what they are they're verifiable whether it be HOA fee a utility property taxes or insurance you know that stuff that's pretty tangible it's not hard to screw that up but where i see deviation and fluctuation is with market rents like we may post on the website the rent whatever the lease amount will be for that property now if it's already leased it's a given fact if it's 1200 a month it's 1200 a month But for a lot of properties today that go under contract while the renovation is being done, we know from the property manager and or through a couple of different websites what market rents are in that area because there are rent comparables. But whatever that number is, if the target rent is $1,200, the target rent is $1,200. But it could end up renting or being leased for $1,150 or $1,100. But on the flip side, it could also go for more. And I've seen this happen many times where we anticipate or expect 1200 to be the monthly rent and what ends up happening is we see it going under contract or lease for 1250 or 1300 so just keep that in mind that 
when it comes to market rent, we may not be able to nail it down specifically because until it's leased, it's not leased and we don't know exactly what that is. And that's really not a function of what we do or what you do as a client. It's really coming down to what is going on in that local market and what can the property manager lease it for to a qualified and and screened tenant. So I'm being long-winded. I apologize, but those were my comments about everything you just said about being specific or detailed in the process. So do you have anything to add to that, Melissa? Otherwise, I'm going to move on. <laughs> like you said, our website, especially the new one that I'm really excited about that's coming up, there's going to be a, a little bit more data involved for the investor who wants to get a little bit more analytical. Things to look at that I think are, are important is you know rental increases. What have been the rental increases in the area? I like to look at that because when we're, we're looking at the numbers for a property today, But what about next year? Maybe the property manager, like you said, rented the property for $1,150 this year, but the market just went up pretty well with rental increases and everybody's raising them maybe, you know, four or 5%. Well, then the next year, if that tenant doesn't decide to renew, then your property manager can raise the rents a little bit more. So I think that's kind of an interesting number to look at. And again, that data is going to be available on on our new website, which I'm really excited about. And, And even today, even without the new website, we have access to that type of information. And, and so anything that an investor you know needs, we can get answers for you. But then at some point, I do want you to take action because if you set goals for yourself, I want to help you hit those. And so I definitely want to make sure that I'm also saving time for you and not sharing properties with you that don't align or don't fit. You know, why would you waste an hour of your day analyzing a property that you're never going to intend to buy because it really doesn't align with your goals anyway? So that's, again, where I think it's so important to work with us as investment counselors to help you identify the strategies and the goals that really are the bottom line, what you want to do. And then we're just going to share with you the properties that fit that. So we're not wasting your time and you can take action sooner. Yeah. A key takeaway from everything we just talked about in the last five minutes is don't get trapped in analysis paralysis. Don't be your own worst enemy and get in front of yourself and get in your own way because some people get so caught up in thinking they don't know enough or that they need to figure out everything that they're not possibly asking or looking at or maybe something that they've overlooked and they don't even know it, that they freeze. They just get in their way and they don't continue going to the next step, whatever that next step is, let us hold your hand and walk you through this process and make sure that you don't step on landmines and ask the right questions and look at the things that are actually material, that are important, so that way you can continue to take steps, whether that's baby steps, crawling, or walking. But unless you're moving forward, you're not moving forward. So don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. And I think a lot of us do that. I agree. And one more thing, Marco, that I would add about that as you were talking, I spoke to an investor earlier this week. We were covering the, the different markets and what's going on with the markets, the price points, you know, some of the strategies. You know, some of our markets have more cash flow than others, and some have a little bit more growth and appreciation potential than others. And as we were going through it all, he said, You just told me in about 20 minutes the things that I've been researching for the last four months. Oh, wow. And he said, you, you literally, I came to the same conclusions that you're telling me right now. And so one thing that I took from that as well is I wish that he would have called me a little bit earlier or called Narada or called somebody and spoke with us. We could have saved him a lot of time on the research too. 
So again, he finally went through his analysis paralysis and, and got through it all and went, okay, now I'm, I'm ready to call and talk to somebody. And then he went, oh, okay, well, I guess at the end of the day, you, you kind of solidified everything that I, I already had learned this whole time that, you know, I definitely encourage people to reach out to us sooner than later. Maybe we can help you get through some of that data and make your life a little bit easier and save some time. Yeah, for sure. So what I'm about to ask you is, is going to sound like it's coming out of left field to some degree. And people might be thinking, well, why would you ask such a negative question? But but it's probably a question that people ask themselves subconsciously. And that is, what could go wrong or what should we expect to go wrong in a real estate transaction? We could probably take this in 10 different directions, but I'm going to let you answer this first. What could go wrong or what should we actually expect to go wrong with our real estate transactions? Do you mean during the closing transaction process or after closing? Well, that's a good question because it could be either one. It could be both. So why don't we hit one or two before closing? So during the due diligence selection and closing process, and then we'll hit maybe one or two after that. Perfect. Okay. So I will say first and foremost, Properties sell very fast with Narada. And so I like to set up expectations where we're analyzing properties. And once you kind of getting through that process, understanding the numbers and you feel good about it, if you see a property you like, let's just jump on it. Let's put it under contract because if you don't, somebody else is going to grab it up and then you're going to be disappointed because you lost that property. Not to fear though, because we have more properties behind it. We always have good properties. But, you know, you, you do. So I've had a few investors that have been kind of disappointed that they didn't, you know, jump on something quick enough. And then, you know, a couple more properties come by and then they finally, you know, found a good property. Now, once the property is under contract, we have a couple things in place. The first one is we want to make sure we have a contingency for inspections and a contingency for appraisals. And what that means is if at any reason during the process, you don't like what you see on an inspection report, you can cancel that contract and walk away from the property. Same with the appraisal. If there's an appraisal problem, let's say the property for whatever reason doesn't appraise, you always have that out to cancel. Now, we don't see that happening a lot, quite honestly, because so the first stage is we've got a, a time window, a due diligence phase to get your inspections done. And during that process, we're going to help you line up an inspector to go through the property. His job is to find everything wrong with it. And so when you have a property that was just newly renovated, this is very vital to get this done because things can get missed. And we want to make sure that you're buying a good property and there aren't any you know, major issues. So I would say that would be an area where things could go wrong or could go right. So let's say you got the inspection report back and for some reason he uncovered something that nobody saw or nobody caught previously. That's kind of upsetting, but at the end of the day, you can walk away from the contract and you can cancel it. Or what most likely is going to happen and what we recommend is allow us to go back to our local team and let them review that item and give that contractor an opportunity to fix that item. Because if you're going to request that item to be fixed, most likely the next buyer is going to also request that item to be fixed. So, you know, we want to make sure that that it's taken care of if it's a serious issue. So then we're going to request a list of items that should be fixed or taken care of. And then we're going to make sure that those are done before closing. So I guess when you say what could go wrong is that, you know, it can delay the closing a little bit because we now want to make sure that, okay, we got to get the contractors back out there. They've got to fix those items. Then we've got to verify that they're fixed. And we really don't want you closing until they're fixed. 
sometimes there's certain circumstances if you have a really tight deadline for a 1031 where you know we might just have to close on it as fast as possible but for the most part we want those items fixed and taken care of before closing so that would be you know could be possibly one hiccup and the other one like i mentioned before is the appraisal your lender is ordering an appraisal on your behalf sometimes trust me we've seen it there are appraisers out there that can be lazy and and just don't pull all the comps and so in that regard what we do is is we'll question the appraiser and and especially we'll say hey it looks like you missed a couple of comps right down the street we've had that before and then the, then the appraiser will choose to decide if he's going to include that comp or not but we definitely work with you on that and they don't happen often it's very rare but when they do we're here with you worst case scenario actually ends up benefiting the investor and that's where we go back to our provider and we're saying, hey, you know, the, the appraiser isn't going to budge on this. Let's negotiate on the price. And then they'll drop the value of the price sometimes. So the investor actually ends up getting a better deal at the end. So I always tell people, hey, you know, don't be afraid if you get that low appraisal and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, really might benefit you. So that's something you can look at if that were to happen. And then as we go further in the closing process, Everything else is is really been taken care of for you. You've got title company making sure that there's no title issues on the property and it's clear if there is a title issue on the property, they're not going to let you close. Your lender is putting up 80% of this loan. You're only putting up 20. So the lender is going to make sure that they're protecting that asset. So that's why they're so picky about the appraisal and then also, you know, making sure you have a free and clear title. So other than that, I think those are really the only issues during the closing process that could potentially come up. And then your property manager takes over at closing and it's a very seamless transition. Yeah, that was great, Melissa. I think the one comment I would add is regarding appraisals. You know, the thing with appraisals is it's definitely a science. There's a methodology to doing an appraisal, but there's also a portion of it that is art. So it's part science, part art. And because of that, we will see appraisals sometimes come in at the purchase price. Sometimes they come in a little lower and sometimes surprisingly or not, they come in a little higher. And that's obviously to the benefit of the investor. If you're looking at it from, you know, what is the market value, but keep in mind, and, and I like to say that you can get 10 appraisals done by 10 different appraisers at the same time. And odds are that they will not all be exactly the same. Some of them will be spot on to whatever the purchase price was. Some of them will be a little higher and some of them will be a little lower. So, you know, you have to just keep that in mind that it's not an exact science. And because of that, if it's a little bit lower, sure, we'll definitely have a conversation between you and the builder or the property provider and just see where there's a uh, meeting of the minds. But interestingly enough, if the appraisal comes in higher, the price has never changed. Nobody's going to come back to you and say, hey, well, it appraised for more than we thought it would. We should raise the price you know, after the fact, after you have it under contract. That's not going to happen. So just going in, understanding that it could be a little higher, it could be a little lower, or it could be spot on, there's going to be a margin of error or a margin of deviation. I think that's an expectation that everybody should have going in so that way there's no real or perceived surprises after the fact. I agree. And and I like how you said that expectations, because that's one of the things that comes up a lot with new investors is we want to be real about a real estate transaction and very transparent. 
there's no point in fluffing things up. And it's very frustrating sometimes. There's a lot of information out there, misinformation about investing in real estate. And some people sell it like, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread. You're never going to have a vacancy. You're always going to have a tenant. You're going to have all this cash flow. And, you know, life is so great and everything is so perfect. And this is the best thing. You can literally, it's so passive that you can take a nap and wake up 20 years later and you can retire off this income. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's that vibe out there. And I like to be very, very transparent and real and say, this is a real transaction. This is a, this is a business transaction. This income on this property should be looked at like that. And so let's talk about the realities of what can come up. But guess what? We have a solution. We have the experience. We have the people that we work with that have been through this, even from our lenders. Some of these lenders that most of our investors use who are just so great, I don't even know how many transactions a year they do. I don't think there's a situation they have not seen. And especially with appraisers, they work with a lot of appraisers and they'll see real quick if that appraiser is missing something or or did a poor job and they will take it on and go directly to that appraisal desk and say, hey, there's a problem here. They're very experienced and they'll definitely work with us to resolve any issues. So before we run out of time, let's kind of ask the second half of this question. And then I have a final question to ask you, which I think is good for everybody to hear. You know, I asked the question, what could go wrong before and after the purchase? So we talked about the before. Let's throw one or two things in the ring here as far as what could go wrong after the transaction closes, after the investment's made. Yeah. So my thoughts on that is I mentioned earlier, one of the variables that we can't control is the tenant. You know, life happens and We've seen a number of circumstances where you do everything right. The property managers vetted out the tenant. They've got the income. They've, you know, everything checks out on paper and they've got a great job and something happens and the tenant is gone, you know, six months early of of their lease. We can't control that, but we can be prepared for it. So let's be real about that. You will have a vacancy at some time when you own that property. You will have a maintenance call at some time at that property. We don't know when. And we don't know how much it's going to be or how long it's going to be. But let's be prepared for it. And let's not be shocked and surprised when you do have a vacancy or a tenant who's paying late. You know, you've got a renter in there and they might pay you late, you know, one time or two times. You have to expect it and you can't be shocked when it happens. That's, again, being transparent and being real. But we've got to look long term. So, yes, you might have had a vacancy on your property for a couple of months. There's so many more benefits. I mean, the benefits are so long-term and you're looking very short-sighted if it's so upsetting to you that you can't sleep at night because you had a tenant move out early. You know, maybe you shouldn't be an investor if it's keeping you up at night because something like that happens. So let's be real about it. Let's be honest about it. Yes, you're going to have a vacancy at some point and yes, you're going to have a maintenance call at some point. But again, like I said before, we're going to be prepared for it because we know it's going to come at some point and we're going to have funds set aside to cover those types of things. Everybody does that a little bit different. Some people will put specific amounts of money aside each month from their rental income, put it in a separate account. You know, everybody does their accounting a little bit different. It doesn't matter as long as you have the expectation that it's coming and you've got, you know, funds set aside to cover it. I don't really see any other major issues after closing. Another expectation of of something that might come up is maybe you don't get along with your property manager. I don't know. We feel like our property managers are really good. You know, we have some really awesome vetted teams in place. Maybe you don't jive with everybody. That's okay. There's other property managers that we can recommend to you in the area. 
other than that, I think that's about it. Yeah, that was a great answer. I like to categorize it in two very basic ways. Things or problems or benefits, whatever you want to call it, they fall into two categories. It's either people or the property. It's the two Ps. So you're going to have people problems from time to time, whether it be like you said, occasionally with a property manager, but often, not often, but more often than the property manager, you know, with the tenant, because people tend to move, you know, they might be moving up or down in and out of a market. They may have a job transfer, job loss. There might be, you know, a family issue. Things happen. And so when you're dealing with people, i.e. your tenants who are your customers, you're going to have, you know, move-ins and move-outs. You're going to have tenant issues that come up. Now, fortunately, they don't happen very often, but the reality is it's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's a question of when. And so you prepare for that and you budget for that. So that's why we budget in our pro formas and our calculations a vacancy allowance, because we are preparing ourselves for the fact that it will happen at some point in time. We don't know when. It can happen once a year. It could happen once every five years. There are tenants, and I know of tenants, that have stayed for five plus years. They just don't want to move. They love where they live. But things do come up with people, and that's the first category. The second category is the property. We're going to have issues on a property. You know, faucets will eventually start to leak. Toilets might start to leak. A dishwasher might stop working or a fridge. You know, it's an appliance. It's going to last seven, 10 years, maybe more. But ultimately, these things are going to need to be fixed or replaced. Same thing with the HVAC system or the, or the hot water tank, which may last 15, 20 years, depending on what you have. But again, you're prepared for that. It's not a surprise. It's an expectation. You're going to have a people problem. You're going to have a property problem. But that's why you have insurance. You insure your property for the big events, the big catastrophes, the things that are major events. But you also budget for things that are going to happen that may be a maintenance or repair expense or maybe a long-term capital expenditure, such as the hot water tank or HVAC system or whatever it may be. But you know about it. You know it's going to happen. It's a question of when, not if, and you budget for it. So these things are expected and they shouldn't take you by surprise. You just know they're coming. They're going to come at some point. You hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And that's just the way I look at it in terms of you know what could go wrong after the purchase. It's a people or a property problem, but you're prepared for it. You know it's going to happen. Agreed. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you agree, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> well said. You say it so well. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Not always. All right. My last question. We can be brief about this so we don't go too much longer, but just briefly stated, what should investors do before they contact you or us here at Norada? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a great idea to spend some time on our website. And especially with the new website coming up that I'm very excited about that I keep talking about, there's just going to be more for investors to look at. I think it's a great idea to spend some time on our website and we have a really great tool on there. I don't know if it's going to be labeled the same. Right now it's called Analyze This. It's an orange button. You'll have to tell us, Marco, if it's going to be the same, but spend some time on that tool. You're going to learn more using that tool. The more you use it, the more comfortable you get with it that you can go on there. You can just pick a random market, pull up that tool. There's features in there that you can change the numbers around. I don't recommend changing them around too much because what we have in there, I think is pretty good. But if for some reason, like you want to mess around and say, oh, let's say I want, instead of 20%, what would it look like if I put 30% down, for example? Or what would it look like if my interest rate changed? I mean, you can change those sort of things. 
You can mess around with like what Marco said, the assumption numbers, vacancy maintenance. Mess around with those. Really get familiar with it because that data that it's going to spit out is going to show you some really cool numbers. Currently, the one we have right now, and again, Marco, you can verify, you know, it'll give you projections for the next, you know, 20, 30 years on there. If we put in, if, if the property rents go up 2% a year, this is what it's going to look like. And your equity is going down. And so it's really exciting to see because I think that's where the power of real estate is exciting for me with my own portfolio because I'm an investor also. And I want to see not only what the property is going to do today, but what is the property going to look like in 20 years when I am looking to retire? So I think it's very exciting and very motivating to really look at those numbers and, and seeing what the potential is. So spend some time just messing around with those numbers, checking out the markets, getting familiar with what's there. And then when we finally get to connect, and then we can really narrow down your strategy and your then fit the markets to what you're looking to do, it'll all make more sense. And then when we actually get into sending you the properties and the performance and you're looking at them, you'll already be familiar because you've been reviewing them for a little while. You don't have to know everything. And, and again, don't get stuck in that analysis paralysis and feel like you have to know everything before you call us. Not at all. In fact, I even I haven't showed this to you yet, but I, I created just like a quick cheat sheet on how to read the performance numbers. Like what is a cap rate? And you know, it, it's just a quick thing. I'm more than happy to send that to anybody or we can discuss it on the phone. So you don't need to be an expert or, or super knowledgeable, but just kind of be aware of, of what the markets were in and then mess around with that analysis tool. And I think that's a great start. Yeah, that's great, Melissa. And I appreciate all that. And you know, knowledge is great. And I think people should continually educate themselves and learn as much as they can, but you don't need to be an expert. Just continue to build on your knowledge base and experience is going to be one of your best teachers. So just have the right team, build the right team or work with the right team to help you achieve whatever level of success you want. Because as you grow, you're going to continue to learn and become a better, smarter investor. So let us help you as best as we can. But regardless of what you do, just educate yourself and take action because unless you take action, you're actually not going to get anywhere. You know, it's all about execution. So Melissa, thank you for your time. I'm going to wrap it up here. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is fun. We'll have to do it more often. Yeah. We're going to make this a regular feature each year with uh, just bringing on investment counselors at different times. So again, for everybody listening, you know, download the free report on our website, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. If you haven't had a free strategy session, get on our website, fill out the form. We'll connect you to Melissa or one of our investment counselors. And uh, you can have that initial conversation to map out where you are and where you want to get to. And let's turn that into a plan of action so we can or you can just execute on that and get your portfolio growing. If you have any questions about real estate investing, just go to one of our websites. You can go to the PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com website, click Ask Marco, and I'd be happy to answer those questions that we didn't cover on the show here today. Remember to subscribe if you're listening to this and you actually haven't clicked that little purple button on iTunes or wherever you listen. Help us spread the word. Visit us on iTunes or wherever and leave us a rating. And if you can, if you have the time, we would love a review. We do read them. In fact, I read every single one of them. And in wrapping up, thank you for being a listener. Thanks for listening. And we will see you all on our next episode.
Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.